Street. What up, peeps? <laughs> it is the top of the hour on Wednesday. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan, and this is another special version of the Market Call. 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to look at all the things you want to see. We're live on Open Exchange, YouTube, and Twitter. While Fast Money is dark for the Olympics, we're here for you folks, and we're going to guide you through these turbulent markets. We're breaking down the biggest moves of the day and what we're watching for tomorrow. We're putting 30 minutes on the clock, but Dan, I think we're going to get out of there a little earlier because Amanda Diaz has Wine Club and Brendan is going to Big Sky, Montana. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange, because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. A mind-numbing, rip-your-face-off rally in everything conceivable today, Dan Nathan. I know, Well, Amanda Diaz, before she goes to Wine Club, is just saying it's an everything rally. It was risk on. We've been talking about this a little bit here. You know, it seems like the market, at least the S&P and the NASDAQ, were trying to kind of find their footings at some key kind of technical levels here. But, guys, the stuff in the after hours, I mean, really, over the last two weeks when we've been talking about how does this market stabilize, and it really started to stabilize with the earnings and guidance from Microsoft and Apple two weeks ago, Alpha Alphabet certainly helped there. Both of those um, stocks, at least the last two, Alphabet had a big gap, um, you know, and, and they were just trying to kind of find their way. And you think of those three names, they make up, you know, close to 20% of the S&P 500 and a little bit more of the NASDAQ 100, and they did the job. So now here we are. I think the shock and awe of Facebook and some of those other names are out of the way, and we're seeing big moves. You and I were talking about it earlier. You previewed viewed it last night on Market Call at 5 o'clock. This Disney report was really important. What was important to you about this one? ARPU. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but they beat on top line. They beat revenue. As well. I mean, it was a great quarter. There's no yeah. denying it. And I think what people got scared about with Disney was, as we said last night, we said for the last couple of weeks, the Netflix report. And that came on the heels of a pretty spotty Disney report last quarter. So I think people shot first, asked questions later. They knocked the stock down to 132. But we said it today. We've been saying it over the last week or so. You know, I thought Disney set up well. And, you know, even a just in line, I thought was going to be enough given the drubbing the stock has taken. But you look at the ARPU numbers, not nearly as bad. As a matter of fact, better than people were expecting. ESP, ESPN, Disney Plus, all those things. It's a great quarter. I happen to think this is the quarter that takes it to the next level. What I'll tell you, though, this 158 level-ish that we're trading at currently, this is where we broke down from in a meaningful way on January 11th. So we need to close above this level tomorrow, Dan Nathan. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, it, we've seen a lot of volatility in Disney around its earnings over the last couple of years since the introduction of Disney+. Plus. Obviously, there was a lot of excitement about it when they announced it. And then some of the kind of palpitations that we've seen on the subscriber growth, just like you mentioned last quarter. The one thing I'd say is that it was really parks that drove this, right? And that's good for the reopening trade if you think about it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, look at the way Netflix has been volatile around the one key metric there. Obviously, profitability margins is important over there at Netflix, but a lot of the price action is driven by those subscribers, specifically here in North America. So I suspect that Disney is going to remain subject to that sort of volatility quarter to quarter on their sub um, news. And then, guy, just we got to hit this real quickly because I know Lyft was down a lot after its results, and now Uber's up out in the, in the aftermarket after its results. We're also seeing Twilio 
Twilio, a stock that traded, I think, as high as 450, closed today at 202, up nearly $45 in the aftermarket near its breakdown level. So we continue to see some crazy price action in single names. What is that telling you as we're getting to the backside of Q4 earnings that we're starting to see just some crazy moves? You're seeing volatility on both sides of the spectrum. And not, these are not small companies. I mean, the, obviously, the ones we talk about in earnest have been Facebook, which at the time I think was an $800 billion company, and obviously Amazon. And the divergence in the two over a two-day period, you had one down 23%. The next day, the other one's up 19 20%. In my opinion, that shouldn't happen. Now, it's going to make a lot of people that are long Amazon really happy to understand that. But again, you shouldn't have that kind of volatility in single stock names of that magnitude. Now, you're mentioning some other names as well. Stocks shouldn't move, in my opinion, 10 15% on what have been decent releases to the upside. And obviously, in terms of Facebook, lousy ones. But... The fact that they're moving on in standard deviations, I think, should concern people. Now, it will manifest itself in the broader market at some point. We just haven't seen it yet. Well, let's look at the S&P 500. When you look at this thing here, we drew the line from the breakout level from October. It was also the breakdown level in early January, and you have that one-year uptrend, guys. So, you know, you and I last night in the market call, we're looking at this S&P 500 chart. We said it's at a really important spot. It held its 200-day moving average, which is at really at that consolidation at the lows of the last few trading sessions here. And here we are above it. And, you know, really at the end of the day, only down about 5% from the all-time highs. So made up more than half of the losses from the peak to the trough a couple weeks ago. What's it going to take in the S&P 500? We have the earnings. We have the guidance out. We know there's a lot of economic data. We're going to talk about tomorrow's CPI. We have rates where they are. Can this thing get back up to those prior highs in the near term? Of course it can. I mean, we've seen it before. I don't think it's going to happen, but absolutely. I mean, I don't think you should. We would either one of us would be surprised if this market were to make new highs by early spring. It wouldn't surprise me, but it wouldn't be on merit. Let's put it that way. What could get it there? I'll give you a couple things. If the CPI number comes in tame tomorrow, and tame means either side of 7%, that will help. If China, Taiwan, somehow magically that goes away, that will help. If the Russians can somehow magically uh, remove themselves from the Ukraine border, that would help. If oil stopped going higher on the back of those things, that would help. And if bond yield sort of stayed here and didn't move anymore, that would help. All those things, I think, get the market to new highs. The problem is, I don't think most of those things are going to happen. I still think there's some geopolitical stuff out there. And by the way, there's some economic stuff as well that the market's not pricing in. So the bounce 300 or so S&P handles from that low is is crazy. And we traded down to those October lows and bounce, which you're seeing from that chart. But here we are at critical, I think, resistance levels. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be a huge day on the back of the earnings we just talked about. And then subsequently on the back of this number that comes out at 8.30 a.m. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. You mentioned that resistance level in Disney, and we were talking earlier in the week about Alphabet's its 8% gap after its earnings and then spent the next few trading days um, filling in that gap. Let's see if Disney follows that pattern here. I'll just say this about, you know, you said neither one of us would be surprised if the S&P was back 
at those prior all-time highs. I would be. Here's one mistake that I make all the time in the markets, and this is really important when I'm trading here. I am not the person to be pressing lows, especially when sentiment gets really bad and it feels like we're kind of near capitulation. You were highlighting um, that VIX move above 30. Usually that has been um, a, a place where after a sustained period of volatility, whether it be a week or two, and you have a VIX that goes from 19 to 34 or whatever the heck it did, that's probably a little time to kind of cover some shorts and take the pedal off the metal. And I am not one to reshort until we get at least a 50% retracement. But here's what I do all the time really poorly is kind of get negative right here, right now at these sorts of levels where I feel like this is resistance, but for whatever reason, I just have the sentiment wrong. You know, does that make sense to you in a way, guy? And then I get squeezed a little bit back up to the highs. And then I've lost a lot of dry powder for getting back and playing for the retest. I do think we're going to retest those lows from a couple weeks ago. I just don't know from which level, though. I think the way to combat that, and listen, I'm guilty of it as well. I think a lot of people are guilty of that. You wait for your levels of resistance. You wait for your retracement. Then you sort of pounce. The problem is we see these overshoots to the downside and subsequently to the upside as well. How do you combat that? How do you beat it? I'll tell you. You look for that overshoot, and then you look for that buy side capitulation, and then maybe you get in. We haven't seen it yet, by the way. Or it does play out the way you think, and it starts to turn, and then you sell the weakness. But right here, to your point, a lot of times you're just flipping a coin, and unfortunately, uh, when that coin comes out against you, you get squeezed out of these positions. So if it makes sense, I think it does. If it turns here, wait for that turn to be meaningful, and then press the weakness into potential new lows, or wait for that sort of um, capitulatory extension to the upside on big volume and then get into it there but you're right dan at these levels i think it is pretty much of a coin flip yeah and it's pretty tough let's look at the nasdaq 100 the qqq the etf that tracks it here and again this is also at a pretty key level here um you know we see those microsoft we see apple we see uh, a handful of other names acting very very well the large you know kind of components of the qqq here and we're still down 10 percent. so if the rest of these names that have been absolutely slaughtered that are in the nasdaq 100 and there are dozens of them that are down 40 50 even some 60 percent or so if they were ever joining the party that's probably how you get this QQQ headed back towards those prior highs. But importantly, you know, even when the S&P was making new highs earlier this year, and we've highlighted this on many of occasions, the NASDAQ never confirmed those highs. So to me, there is some underlying weakness in the NASDAQ. Let's take a look at something. You mentioned party. So I think of Leslie Gore, which I know you're familiar with. She sang basically two songs. It's my party and I'll cry if I want to, number one. And the second song that everybody knows is You Don't Own Me. But I'll tell you who owned the semi-trade, and that was Carter Braxton Worth, and he did it on Market Call a couple weeks ago when he basically uh, nailed the bottom of the move, and he said, you know what, you got to get into semis here, and he was spot on. And you can see from this chart the outperformance vis-a-vis the Qs. Good for Carter, Dan. What are you looking at here? Well, listen, you've been calling it, too, within the SMH, the ETF that tracks the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index. You know, there were two names last year that drove a lot of that performance. It was NVIDIA and it was AMD. And I think both stocks were up more than 100%. I mean, you think about some of the other large components in the semiconductor um, ETF. It was Intel, which is one of them, and really had a hard year. Uh, and then it was Taiwan Semi, which actually had some pretty decent performance in Q1 of 2021 and then really went sideways. Um, I 
I want to just I want to highlight Taiwan Semi here quickly here because if you look at that well-defined kind of consolidation for the better part of let's say the last nine months or so, you see that huge spike when it broke out above 125 here. This is a foundry company, and I think that you just mentioned the Taiwan uh, Chinese Taiwan situation. I think there's a lot of ways for Taiwan Semi to actually win if there was a dust up or if there wasn't a dust up. We already had this move towards foundries being built outside of China because of the supply chain issues that we were focused on um, during the pandemic. And then prior to that, the, um, the trade war and that sort of thing. This company said they're going to spend $30 billion on CapEx and they're going to build a lot of foundries in other places around the world. This is one I think you want to be on. So I think um, the SMH found some footing at a bit lower. That's where Carter called it here. I think you see this thing break out and probably have a move back towards those prior highs near 145. What are I, you looking at? I, no, I agree with you on Taiwan Semi real quick. By the way, I think you can also make a decent case on valuation here as well. And it tried those lows so many different times and now it's probably going to make a move to the upside. And I think you're right. I think a lot of the pressure on the stock has been coming it's been on the back of what's been going on in china but as you said they might be able to win regardless of outcome which is why this makes it a pretty compelling long right here i'm looking at qualcomm i've been talking about this name for a while they finally got their act together i mean the move we saw from basically 125 or so was pretty uh interesting to say the least i mean they had that gap higher on a crazy earnings release we're through earnings again I like Qualcomm for a couple of reasons. Valuation, I mean, it trades at a, it trades at a uh, trades less than a market multiple, and it trades a lot less than some of these high flying uh, semi names. I also think it's about to break out to all new all time highs. It keeps bouncing up against those levels, Dan. I think we're going to plow through it. So I think as people look for names that make sense on valuation, and they're looking for a sector to be in vis a vis semis, I think people are going to continue to gravitate towards uh, Qualcomm. Yeah, it's really interesting that a lot of the price action in semis over the last five years was really drawn by, driven a lot by the idea of consolidation. And so now we have NVIDIA, they're calling off this deal to buy ARM um, from SoftBank. It'd be interesting to see if there's the potential for another round of um, consolidation the way we saw back in 2015, 16, 17. There were just hundreds of billions of dollars worth of deals. Um, but, you know, your Qualcomm seems to be one that might make a lot of sense being fabless to kind of partner um, with some other organization. I've always long thought that Intel and Qualcomm would be a great combination, but who knows, Guy Nadami. All right, well, we got the semis, and that's important because we've spent a lot of time on consumer internet and uh, SaaS names, so it's kind of really good to drill down sometimes on semis, especially when you consider that outperformance that we saw for the better part of 2021. Guy, let's look at financials here because bank stocks in particular have caught a bid. You've been calling for 2% on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. You've also been calling for a 30 basis point 210 spread and i gotta tell you we're below 60 basis points right now and let's just start with rates a little bit and how you think we got here and how low do we go because you know we did see the 210 spread basically get to flat in 2018 when we were at the height of the rate hiking cycle of the fed back then yeah where do i think it's going i'll stand by it i still think we're going to 30 basis points and my levels have been one and a half percent, one point eight percent. And listen, it's not that far fetched to think that could be the case. And how do we get there? Well, maybe we get there the following way. You get a hot uh, CPI number tomorrow. You get a huge move to the upside in two year. You have a flight to quality on a market sell off in the form of the 10 year and it continues to narrow. Why do I like financials? Well, it's not that I'd love them. You know, I don't think they're 
great value here. A lot of people do. I just think there's some tailwinds here right now in terms of rates going higher. Obviously, a, a narrowing yield curve is going to hurt, but it's not going to be catastrophic. So I've talked about the banks that I like. I've talked about Blackstone being a non-bank that makes interesting sense here. Stock was up big today. I've also talked about the insurers. If you like uh, names that do well in high interest rate environments or rising rate environment, I should say, insurers work and both MetLife and Prudential continue to make new all-time highs. Yeah, I just want to push back real quickly. You've had a great call on Blackstone for two years. So I, I literally, I think you started pounding the table when it had a four handle. That's a, in the 40s, okay? And it got to maybe 150 or so just a couple months ago. I'll just say this, though. If we were to say that rates are going to stay high and we're going to see maybe a slowdown in certain capital markets activity, maybe M&A and that sort of thing, maybe Blackstone doesn't outperform in that rising rate environment. That's just one take. And I will say that if you want to look at a chart on that thing, we don't have it right here it looks like a textbook head and shoulders maybe there's some really good support back near 100 between 100 and 110 um, because that's where it just kind of ricocheted from but when it got down there guy it went straight to 140 in like two weeks that seems a bit aggressive huh yeah it's pretty interesting i mean and you said you thought it was going to trade down to 100 and you were right i will tell you a couple years ago you said one of the best looking uh banks investment banks in this case although they've really diversified their platforms has been Morgan Stanley. And yet sideways action for quite some time. Now it appears to be breaking out to the upside. And again, you know, Morgan Stanley, which played second fiddle to a lot of the other investment banks, a la Goldman Sachs for a long time. Well, I think they've taken over the reins, quite frankly, under the leadership of Gorman. And they're in three very distinct business categories and they're killing it in each one. So, you know, Morgan Stanley breaking out today, one has to wonder, are we about to go into a new, um, new trading levels? And I think we are, Dan. Yeah, that's a really, you know, like when you say good looking bank, obviously, technically, it's been very constructive for the last couple of years from the lows um, in 2020 during the pandemic. But I think what you're talking about also is just the fundamentals, the diversification, buying E-Trade, buying, I think, Eaton Vance, you know, in the asset management space and really kind of diversifying and looking a bit more like a bank. Now, that could be good or bad in different rate environments, but I think that they have a lot of pieces of the puzzle. That breakout is pretty impressive. If you think about where market sentiment was, Guy, in January, it really felt like we were going to be in a bear market for a while. And maybe we, we we remain so, but seeing some market leaders, especially rate sensitive ones like Morgan Stanley break out like this is certainly pretty impressive. What is your take though on money center banks? Because we have a chart of the kind of dispersion between Wells Fargo and JP Morgan. It's just kind of interesting to me that JP Morgan, you might have thought might have been one of the first bank stocks to make a new high to kind of find its footing, but it hasn't. Wells Fargo, look, I remember when Karen was talking about it, it was a $22 stock and all the news was bad. And she came on the show and said, you know what, I, I sort of like it here. And I will tell you within two or three days, that was, as they say in the business, the ball's low. And it's been a huge performer ever since. And it's if all the problems, the self-imposed problems, self-inflicted problems never existed. I will tell you that Wells Fargo's gotten itself a little expensive, in my opinion, on valuation that JP Morgan has always been expensive on valuation. And quite frankly, that's probably one of the reasons it's been sort of sideways to slightly lower over the last couple of months, because there are banks that make a lot more sense in terms of valuation. But I will tell you, because you're setting me up here, if you're playing a game of would you rather at these levels, I would much rather JP Morgan over Wells Fargo. And for those so inclined to put on pair trades, which are typically difficult, I think there's a scenario where you could sell Wells Fargo short and be long JP Morgan against it. 
You know what, guy? Honestly, it seems like a genius trade. And I don't know why J.P. Morgan is not acting better when you think about just kind of the way some of its peers are acting and the kind of rate environment, that sort of thing. So to me, I I like what you're throwing down there. All right, we got to hit this because last night, while Fast Money is dark during the Olympics, these two weeks here, I saw you on CNBC. You were on with Melissa Lee. I kind of shook my head really quick. And I was like, wait, am I supposed to be on? Uh, Oh, no, no, no. He was on the closing bell was Sarah and Santoli and you were talking about I, I was confused because I came in late you were talking about a burrito blowout what does yeah. that mean guy what is that well, what is a burrito blowout you know, I know that this is not basic cable but with that said I probably don't want to share that with our audience <laughs> although those with imagination can understand exactly okay what a burrito blowout is and at my age that happens a lot faster than it did let's say even five or so years ago that's not important but I would will tell you is You know, the quarter out of Chipotle was pretty remarkable. Again, I'll use that word. And if you look at their earnings growth, I mean, this is a company that's expected to grow EPS by about 34% or so. So you can make a compelling argument that at 37 times next year's numbers, it's actually not that expensive. So it looks expensive. And the price tag of the stock, people say, oh, my God, this is a $1,500 stock. It's expensive. But you know what, Dan? I don't think it is. And they have figured out digital. Now you look at the chart. And we're at levels where we should sort of fail and maybe sell off. And I totally get it. And there is a downtrend line from the all-time high in September, if you wanted to draw it, which probably comes in around 1680 or so. So it's going to be challenged here. But I'm telling you right now, you're going to start to see analysts raise their numbers because they have to. And they don't want to miss this move the same way they missed it last summer. Dan, Nathan, back to you. That was pretty cogent, by the way. It was very cogent, but what the hell is going on? Look at this one-year chart, and look at the volatility, and look at the gaps around earnings. It's just, we've lost our minds here, man. I mean, like, literally, you know, we've been spending a lot of time over the last year talking the gamification of markets. This is it right here, because these sorts of reactions to news that is, you know, expected when the earnings are coming out, we don't know what they're going to be, is just completely out of whack. It just shows Bonkers. you that. Well, it just shows you that the analyst community and the investor community are just kind of like shooting first and asking questions later. Let's look at Starbucks real quickly because you you and I have talked about this one. You know, just really the fact that this stock has been underperforming for like six months now since the summer or so is really surprising. You mentioned 37 times for Chipotle given the earnings that they have. That's expensive, okay, on traditional metrics. But for years, people would look at a company like Starbucks and say, well, it's a premium brand and they have premium margins relative to their peers and it deserves a premium multiple. What the hell is going on right now? Because this thing just fell out of bed. That is a textbook looking head and shoulders sort of top, consolidating down below that breakdown level. Are we going to see a move back to that breakdown level, guy? Costs, 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 and their lack of ability to pass on those costs. And oh, by the way, you talk about a labor-intensive uh, company. That's Starbucks, and you know what's going on in terms of the job world. People aren't there, and I don't think people are enjoying waiting instead of five minutes for whatever they drink or eat, 15 minutes. And that's not – I mean, that's reality right now in terms of Starbucks. It's problematic, and it doesn't fix itself overnight. And a company that always traded at a premium valuation, now people are saying maybe it shouldn't. So what do I think? I think it's a no-touch here for a while until they straighten it out. And quite frankly, if you look at the last quarter's release, they haven't figured it out. Now, I like Starbucks, the food. I will get a buttered croissant heated up. Coffee is just nobody. I don't care who you are. You don't like Starbucks coffee. You'll pretend you do, but you really don't. Sorry, Dan.
Really? Well, here's the deal about that. You just said with Chipotle, they figured out digital. That's been a big part of the McDonald's case, too. I mean, one of the things that I would just say about wage inflation, and you and I have had this conversation for months and months right now, and I know it's hard to find baristas and people to work in these sorts of places. We have a very tight labor market. And so the incentives to get workers is really kind of weighing on margins right now. But you know what's been going on with all these guys, right? They're just looking to go mobile, right? They're like the digital sort of thing. So at some point, I expect the wage inflation piece to abate. And then you start getting some leverage on those investments. And that's what you just said has happened in Chipotle. We've seen it in Domino's. We've seen it in McDonald's. I'm sure Starbucks, which has been working very hard on this for years we'll figure it out also by the way it should come as no surprise that i've never ordered anything from starbucks on my starbucks application i shouldn't even say my starbucks because i don't have one and you'll never see me uh using an application to go buy a freaking cup of coffee you know what dan twitter you're a twitter guy i'm a twitter guy i mean i'm a, i'm one of the early adapters i think i started in 09 Adapter. Uh, a lot, you, you are an adapter. A You're a bit going, of a dongle. A You're a bit of a dongle. In turnings. I mean, a 15% implied move. That's no joke, Dan Nathan. No, about five, five and a half dollars in either direction. But here's the deal, guy. When you look at the moves, the one-day moves after earnings over the last four, or actually the last eight quarters, the stock has literally moved 14%. So it's had these massive, massive gaps. I mean, I think the story here is that, you know, the likelihood of a, a kind of miss and guide down that would send Facebook, you know, the, the, the Facebook sort of decline last week is probably not great. The stock has acted very, very poorly. We've drawn a couple of lines on this chart here and you see that breakdown level of about 50 bucks. That was the low from last spring and that $50 mark, um, which was, you see that intraday gap in late November, that was the day that founder Jack Dorsey stepped down as CEO and they announced Parag um, Agarwal, the CTO as the new CEO. I think people were originally excited and then like, eh, and the stock just started going lower here. Um, I don't know. This one sets up okay, man. You know, if there was a beat and a raise and uh, the stock is probably headed back to 50 and the way that these stocks in general have been gapping, if you get that right, great. I just can't see at this point. It would have to take something really monumentally horrible as far as guidance. Um, and, I, you know, new CEO, does he kitchen sink it? What's your, think, uh, what's your thought here, guys? Look, I think we're a couple standard deviations away now from the 200-day moving average, which we haven't seen in quite some time. And that moving average for Twitter comes in around – 57 or so bucks. Here we are at $38. I could see the exact scenario that you point out. The move back up to 50 and still be sort of a story that doesn't make a lot of sense on a number of different metrics. But you just talked about it. Some of these moves have been out of control, and I think you're going to see it in Twitter. Now, we talked about Disney over the last couple of days. We got that one right. I'll go out on a limb here, and I say I think you can see one of these mind-numbing rallies in Twitter on the back of earnings because a lot of it's already been taken out of the name. And the farther we get away from the 200-day moving average, farther meeting distance as opposed to further, which is like further the conversation, I think the more you can have one of these snapback rallies. So I think Twitter... I think you see Twitter tomorrow with a mid 45, 46 handle or so. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. you, you, wow you is just, right, Dan. You just said, well, first things first, you got Disney right. You said it here last night. You told us how it was going to trade. You thought it would go right back to that breakdown level, which was past support, is now resistance. Let's see if you can get through there. With Twitter, you know, it was really funny because you just said snap back rally on Friday. Snap was up nearly 60% because they had that beat and raise. Snap gained the market cap 
of Twitter guy on Friday alone. And who did you who did you hear talking a couple weeks ago who thought you should see a merger of it would be Snap and Twitter. To me that would make so much sense to have Evan Spiegel run that combined company there and they do very different things but they're kind of speaking to different audiences but I think there's a way to kind of merge their um you know their capabilities cut a lot of costs get higher ARPU higher margins that sort of thing so to me that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense guy I hope they give you an investment banking fee because it's you quickly because we want a 5,000 here CPI tomorrow what are you looking for yeah, man, you know, listen, you know where I stand in this. If we have a 7, you know, 7.3, I think that's consensus right now. So the headlines are going to be the highest CPI rating in 42 years since the early 80s or whatever, um, or since 1980. I just feel like a lot of this stuff is just not going to stick. And I think the Disney news is really good. I think some of the things that GM has told us about easing of supply chains, I just feel like we are going to be trending for the balance of this year to a CPI that gets back to low single digits to a GDP that gets back to the 10-year average pre-pandemic, which was like 2.2%. And I think we're going to be back in a normal sort of economy that's kind of contending with interest rates where they were back in 2017 and 2018. So you tell me, I don't know if this economy is about to inflect. I really feel like a lot of the things that we see our headwinds are going to abate a little bit. And one of those would be crude also. Listen, folks, I'm expecting a hot number, but you know what's been hot? These last 29 minutes, as I mentioned, Amanda's got to go to Wine Club, and Brendan's going to Bozeman or something. I mean, it, the whole thing is out of control. He's going to bring his parents, I think. What do they call those things when you eat them, Dan? Edibles or something? Tomorrow at 5 o'clock, Tina Fordham talking all things geopolitical at 5 o'clock on Market Call. Check it out. And check out our sponsors, FactSet, Banging Company. And, of course, come on, Open Exchange. If you like what you saw, and I hope you do, tune in again tomorrow at 5. I'm going to be here all week, as I have mentioned. And check out Market Call Street Research tomorrow at 11 a.m. We will have EY from SoFi, which, by the way, is the stadium that the Super Bowl, which if I'm allowed to say that, I don't even know anymore, will be played this Sunday. I'll tell you right now, Rams 35, Bengals 24. I know you don't care. I do. Dan, just say goodbye to the folks. How do you get to 35? Very few NFL games end with a score of 35 on one well, side. Five but... touchdowns, no field goals. Mark All it right, down. fine, fine, fine. All right, we'll see you tomorrow, 11 a.m. with EY from SoFi, and then back at 5 o'clock for Market Call Special Edition. See you later, guy.